today. We're actually in a series called More Blessed. We started it last week. This is week number two. So if you're brand new with us here today, we want to welcome you into the week number two of this series. And we started uh, basically by jumping into something Jesus said in the book of Acts. We got right into it. We're just going to do that again today. Uh, We're just going to look at what Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Jesus said, it is, say it with me, it is more blessed, a little bit more passion. It is more blessed. In other words, there's more happiness available to you and I when we give rather than just receive, which is not intuitive. Our culture teaches us today that there's actually more happiness, there's more blessing in receiving than there is in giving. Do you agree with this? Like our culture teaches us us, and models this, that it's all about you. Go get yours and that that's where true life is found. And Jesus kind of flips that upside down. He says, no, actually, true life, true happiness, true fulfillment, true satisfaction comes to you when you decide that you're going to be a person who lives for others and thinks about others and gives back to others. The problem is, is that there really is no epidemic of generosity in our world today. The average Christian gives away just 3% of their income. Only 12% of Christ followers return the 10%, return the tithe back to their local churches. And so there's not this explosion of generosity all over our world, even though the founder of our faith, the one that we call Jesus Lord, the one that we say is the master, even though he's the one telling us, hey, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Why do we struggle so much to be generous? There's several reasons, and last week we tackled the first one. We simply don't believe these words. I mean, to believe something is to act as if it's so. So if we're not acting as if this is so, then we must not believe it. Yes? Is this true? Right? Just because we agree with something intellectually doesn't mean we believe it. To believe something is to act as if it's so. And so last week I challenged all of our campuses, all of you, everybody on our online campus to just take the $10 challenge. Actually, I challenge you to return the tithe, but I said, man, that could be a huge jump to go from zero to four or $500 a month, which is about 10% of the average salary in our area. That's a huge jump. That's like going from zero to 60, right, in, in, in 3.5 seconds. That's a, that's a big jump. And some of you took that challenge, and I think it's awesome. My wife, my wife and I have been returning the tithe for almost 20 years now. Many of our friends returned the tithe back to the church. I said, if you had enough faith to return the tithe, 10%, go for it. But if you don't, if you don't, I challenge you to do what? To take the, what was it called? The... challenge, which is basically 10% of 10%. And many of you did that. You set up reoccurring gifts on our PushPay app. In fact, 120 of you went there and set set that up, uh, a reoccurring gift for $10. And last week, our offering went through the roof. Isn't that exciting? Thank you guys so much. Now, hopefully that wasn't a one-time event. Hopefully that is something that continues. We're going to be talking about the $10 challenge. Together, we can do a lot if we all jump in and do a little. And so uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that today if you didn't get a chance to jump in on the $10 challenge. So let's talk about the second hindrance to generosity. Last week was simply that we just don't believe it. This week I want to talk about the idolizing or the idolatry of money. What we've done is we have made money an idol, or we have made an idol out of money. And that's why we struggle to be generous as Christ followers. What is an idol? We've got to understand what an idol is before we can understand how we've made 
money an idol. And an idol is simply this. You've probably heard me say this before if you've been coming. An idol is anything we look to or count on for what only God can give us. Here's what's true about you and here's what's true about me. We were created to be happy. We were. That's why we seek it. That's why it's written into our constitution. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? We were created to be happy. God made us that. We were created to be satisfied. Think about it. you got a stomach. It growls. And then there's this awesome stuff called food, and we eat it, and we're like, oh, that was good, sometimes, <laughs> right? We were created in the same way that our stomachs have, you know, desires, and we have all these other kinds of desires, and there's sexual desire. There's a satisfaction for those desires. Well, the same thing's going on spiritually. We have desires inside of us, and, and we were designed to be satisfied. We were designed to be happy. We were designed to know significance, which is why so many people are seeking significance in our world today. It's because we were designed to, to know that we were significant. We are significant. I love C.S. Lewis's uh, children's stories, The Chronicles of Narnia. It's amazing how King Edward and, and Lucy, and I forget the other two names, the two other guys. There's another girl and a kid. I can't remember. In the end of the story, they end up as kings and queens of Narnia. You ever wonder why? It's because they were created to be significant, and so were you, and so was I. So an idol is basically anything we look to or count on other than God to meet the needs of significance, to meet the needs of, of the satisfaction, happiness. Here's a big one. Security, you are made to, to feel safe. This is why you long for it. We lock our doors and some of us buy guns and, and other stuff, right? We want to know safety. It's why our government has a police force and we've got military. Like we want, like we were created to, to, to feel security. And an idol is anything we look to or count on to give us what only God can give us. See, only God was ultimately, only God can satisfy us the way we were designed to be. Only God can, can make us happy the way we were designed to be. Only God can give us the security that we long for. Only God can give us the significance that we long for. And when we look to anything else to meet those needs, we have created for ourselves an idol. Yes? You understanding this? And our enemy, he loves, our enemy loves to come in and he loves to whisper to us just like he did to Eve in the garden. And he loves to say, you know how you can find significance? Through a, a nicer car. Yeah, yeah. Through a better job. More power at work. You know how you can find happiness? A little bit, little bit more alcohol, a little bit more pornography, a little bit more, you know, adventure, a little bit. You know how you can find success or significance or security and he'll whisper to us in our ear all these different ideas a friend of mine sent me a text message this week this week that reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite books mere christianity i talk about it all the time it's worth plunging through it's a little difficult in certain areas but this particular passage that he reminded me of has shaped my understanding of god and myself what satan puts into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like god's could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all of what we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. 
the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine, me and you, to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed upon. There is no other. That is why it's no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing, but oh, how we try. Anything we look to for happiness, security, significance, meaning, value, becomes an idol in our life. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Jesus comes along and he gives this fantastic little talk called the Sermon on the Mount, right? Be a best TED talk ever. It's about 17 minutes long. I think they timed it. Anyway, gives this little fantastic talk. He's on the side of a mountain. And, and one of the things he says in this talk has to do with idolatry. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, listen. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Basically, he's saying this. You and I only have room for one God in our life, and we will find a God because you were made for a God. Now, it may not be God, but you'll turn something into a God, but you cannot serve two at the same time. You're going to love this one and hate this one or hate this one and love this one. That's the way you were made. That's the way I was made. That's the way our souls were created. We were created to worship something or someone, and something or someone is going to become number one in our lives. And then Jesus gives an example, and he could have picked anything. He could have picked power. He could have picked sexuality. He could have picked anything in the, in, that, he, that he wanted to pick, and he, and, and he picks money. You cannot serve both God and money. Why does he pick money? Why doesn't he pick something else as an illustration? Here's why I believe he chooses money. Because money is the number one temptation when it comes to idolatry because of what it promises. More than sex, more, more than power, more than anything else. Money says, I will bring you significance. I will bring you security. I will bring you meaning. I will bring you purpose. I will bring you happiness. I will bring you satisfaction. Do we not live in a world today that money, where money makes that promise? Yes or no? Am I crazy? More than anything else, money says, I am God. And so many of us have bought it. And so why is it that idolizing money hinders generosity? Why is it that if, if I do this and you do this, we, we, we struggle to give? And, and the answer is very, very simple. If money has become my salvation, if money has become my, my God, if, if it answers the deep questions of my soul, if, it, if, I, if I'm looking to it to satisfy me and bring me happiness, well, then I can't give it away. I can't give it to you. Because if I give it to you, I lose. See, I need it for myself, and you need it for yourselves. And so when you look at the national statistics, the average Christian gives 3% of their income away. What do you see? Well, there are, a lot, there are other reasons, right, for this, but one of the primary reasons is we love it. We look to it. We count on it for security, for significance, for happiness, and because we do that, we cannot part with it in any significant way. We've turned money into an idol. 
You know, Moses warned the children of Israel not to pick up idols. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, it's the first one. You shall have no other God, say it with me, before me. Like, come on. Like, I'm it. I'm the deal. Nothing, you were made by God and for God. And the reason God gives us this commandment in the, in the Ten Commandments is, is not to, to ruin our lives. A lot of times we think God is a killjoy and he's got all these rules and he's got all these regulations. And if I become a Christian, then I got to follow all these rules. But the rules are not, are not there to ruin your life. The rules are there to bless you. See, God knows that only he can make you happy. God knows that only he can be your ultimate security. God knows that only he can give you the significance that you long for. And when we look to an idol, we actually ruin ourselves. So he gives us the rules to help us. In fact, all throughout scripture, if you read the Old Testament, you see that this this is the main problem with humanity. The Israelites kept worshiping idols and idols all through the book of Jeremiah, all through the book of Isaiah, all through the book of Ezekiel. You just look through the Old Testament and you see they could not help themselves They kept looking to someone or something else than God for significance, value, identity, security. And it ruined them. And it ruins us. King David wrote this in Psalm 16. He said, troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. It's just right there. It's right in plain view for us. Like If you worship something else, if you take money and you idolize it, Troubles will multiply. How many of you know someone, maybe it's you, you have, you have ruined your family life in pursuit of more money? You took some job because it paid more and then you couldn't spend time with your kids and you couldn't spend time with your wife and the whole thing unraveled at home. But by golly, you were making more money at work. Troubles multiply for those who... How many of you know somebody in the, who in the pursuit of money did something illegal, got caught and had to go to prison? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe it's you. <laughs> you just bent the rules, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You just tweet, you know, and you, and you got, some of you are doing it right now, and you haven't gotten caught yet. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other, other gods. This is why God gives us the commandment, have no other gods, because he loves you. In fact, through Solomon, King Solomon, uh, David's son, We see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Whoever loves money never has enough. The the, the temptation is, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could just make another 10 grand, another 20, another 100, whatever, then I would be happy. God says, no, it doesn't work that way. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You talk to somebody who makes a million a year, it's like, well, I'm not really there yet. You talk to somebody who makes two million a year, well, it's, I'm not quite there yet. You talk to somebody who makes 10 million a year, it's, well, I'm not really there yet. It never delivers. That's the nature of idolatry. Idols always break our hearts. Somebody please write that down. <laughs> so good, tweet it. Idols always break our hearts. They never deliver on their promise. And the number one idol, the number, the number one temptation towards idolatry is money. Now, all that being said, it sounds like I'm pretty down on money, doesn't it? Money, poo-poo on money, right? Sounds that way, right? But it's, I'm not. I'm not. Money is not evil. It's not. I'm not against money. The Apostle Paul was, was writing this letter, 1 Timothy, to his young protege, Timothy. And I want you to see what he says. He says, it's, it's the love of money. 
It's not money itself. It's the love. It's the idolizing of it. It's the looking to. It's the counting on money. That's the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, desiring money, trusting in money, have wandered from the true faith. Well, of course they did. Because Jesus said you can't have two masters. You're going to love this one and hate this one or hate this one and love this one. Of course you're going to wander away from the true faith if you chase money and you idolize money. It becomes your God. You focus on it. You love it. You can't part with it. Generosity becomes impossible. And on top of that, they pierce themselves with many sorrows. And I've already talked about that. They ruin their families, they ruin their reputations, they ruin their careers, all in the pursuit of more wealth. It's not money that's evil, it's, it's the love of money. In your notes I wrote this, money is actually essential to bless people, which is why I'm not against it. It's essential to bless people. Listen, you and I can bless people but without money, we can. We can send an encouraging text message, although it takes money to have a phone. You, you could write a note to somebody, you know, but it takes money to buy that stationery, a little bit at least. You can give somebody something out of your house. You know, you can bless people without money or just a tiny bit of money. You can. You can sit and listen to a friend over a cup of coffee, although somebody had to pay for the coffee, right? You can bless people with a tiny little bit of money, but if you want to really bless people, you have to have some cash in your pocket. You really do. Jesus taught it like this one time. He's like, he said, there's this one guy walking down the road. He got beat up, mugged, robbed, left for dead. This religious guy walks by, Levite, priest, walks by, doesn't even stop to help the guy. Another religious guy walks by, a temple servant, doesn't even stop, doesn't even look, doesn't even look over, crosses the street. Then this third person walks by. He's called the good Samaritan. Some of you know the story. And this guy stops, and he gets down on his knee, and he, and he bandages, bandages up the guy's wounds, and he puts oil on it, and picks the guy up, and puts him on his donkey, and takes him into town, and checks him into an inn, and makes sure that he's all taken care of. And then, and then the man, the good Samaritan, says this to the innkeeper, Luke chapter 10. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay for the next time I'm here. I'll pay now, and I'm going to pay later. And I'm going to use my resources to bless this man who is in need. Listen, folks, if you really want to bless people, if our church is truly going to bless people in this community and all throughout the world, we need some cash to do it. There are people who cannot pay their light bills in this community. In fact, in fact, this year, just this last year, we've helped 73 families with an average gift of $320. Just with stuff like their electric bill, gasoline for their car, turning on their electricity, helping to pay their rent, helping to pay their mortgage. That's just our community right here. You say, well, that's not a lot of money. I know. That's the point of the series, okay? You need some money to be able to help more and more families who are in need. You want to help people, you have to have cash. Where's the cash? As a church, where's the cash going to come from? Is it going to come from President Trump? Love him or hate him? I'm not talking about that. But is it going to come from the president? Is the money going to come to bless people, yes or no? No check is coming, folks. No check in the mail, okay? It's not coming. You know where it's going to come from? Your pockets. That's where it's going to come from. How are we going to bless our community and our world? From me and from you.
The reason this guy, the reason this good Samaritan was able to bless this man who was left for dead on the side of the road was two reasons. Number one, he had compassion in his heart. Okay, we're going to assume that that's, that's true for us. Like, we're here, we love people. What does it mean to love somebody? It means to do what is best for them. So we're going to do what's best for people. And number two, we, he had means. He had two silver coins in his pocket. And he was able to pay the bill and then the future bill as well if it was necessary. Money is not evil. Money is a tool. Money is an instrument to be able to help people who are in need. So how do we put money in its proper, proper place? That's really what this talk is all about. How do we put money in its proper place so that we can become generous people? Because when money is an idol, that hinders generosity because we need it for what? to answer the deep questions of our soul. We can't give it away. So how do we do it? Well, we got to worship God as God. we got to dethrone money. We have to get money out of that number one spot in our heart. and we got to put God in the number one spot. Listen to what Moses told the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt and the whole new government was being set up and they were going to move into the promised land. Watch this, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him. Love the Lord your God with all of your what? Your heart and with all of your what? Soul and with all of your strength. Basically, with your entire being, mind, soul, body, strength, love God. What does that mean? Does that mean to have strong emotions for him? No. Oftentimes, I don't have strong emotions for God. Doesn't mean I don't love him. What Moses is saying here is, look to him. And count on him for your security, for your significance, for your value, certainly for your sense of identity. That was a huge part of making God the center of their community. They identified as God's people. That's the, that's the Israelites. That's the group of people that has God with them. He protects them. He provides for them. He sends manna from heaven. He does whatever he needs to do for that group of people. That's what it means to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Make him the center of your entire life. Draw your strength from him. Draw your significance from him. Draw your value from him. Make him your God. Jesus quoted this, 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 this passage from Deuteronomy. Somebody said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Jesus said, it's simple. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do what's best for them. How do we dethrone money? How do we put money in its proper place? We don't even mess with it. We just put God in his proper place. We just make God God in our life. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. He says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. That's so easy just to say. Like, preacher, get up here. Hey, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you, what you have. Well, well I don't, I don't, yeah, but we want to do this, and we want to go here, and we want to buy this, and we want to get more of this. And <laughs> it's easy to say. Hard to do. How do you do it? Well, the author, author, of he, uh, author of Hebrews tells us, for God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. He's saying the same thing that Moses said to the children of Israel. Like, I'm here. Like, the reason you can, you can dethrone money, the reason you can stop loving money or, or idolizing money is because you have me. Like, I will be with you wherever you go. I will protect you. I will give you significance. I will provide for you. I will make you happy. I will satisfy you. I will give you a sense of identity. I am God, and that's why you can stop loving money. You, are you with me, guys? And when we place God as God in our hearts, guess what happens in your notes? It's really simple. When God is God in your life giving, it just comes easy. Why? Because it's no longer your God, so you can, you can give it away. 
It becomes natural because it's not God anymore. You're not trusting in it for a sense of security. You're not trusting in it for a sense of identity. You're not looking to it for happiness or or, or contentment or, or satisfaction. God is meeting all of those needs, and so what is money to you now? Well, it's just a tool to make sure you have what you need, you know, food, clothing, shelter. You have insurance. You save for your retirement, your 401ks. You, you have life insurance. You do this. You save for your kids' college education. And then after all that is taken care of, and you've been smart with your money, the Dave Ramsey kind of way, all of a sudden, the what's extra, the, the, the extra there that you have not spent, it goes, you can give it away. Because money is a tool to bless people. God doesn't put money in your pocket or increase your income so you can consume more for yourself. That's not how it works. Of course he wants you to take care of yourself. Of course he wants you to have clothing. And he wants you to have food and shelter and protect yourself. All those different things. And then he says, get your eyes up. Pick your head up. Come on. There's seven and a half billion people in the world. That's not an accident. I put them there because I want to bless them. And I'm going to bless them through your generosity. And so giving becomes easy. As an old preacher from New York City, Presbyterian Church, he said this. John S. Bosnell, bon, uh, Bonnell said this. If one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving becomes easy. He was so right. He was so right. If God is God in your life, uh, the natural flow of things is, is generosity. Because all your emotional, spiritual, physical needs are met. Which is exactly what the Christians in Macedonia did. Remember, I talked about them last week if you were here. Paul was using the Macedonian Christians as an example to motivate the Corinthian Christians to be more generous. Paul said these people were in deep trouble and they had lots of poverty. But in their joy, they still gave, not with this they could, but they even went beyond that. They begged Paul for an opportunity to give. They said, we need to give. Give me those buckets. Where are the buckets, right? This is the Macedonian Christians. I didn't read verse 5. I went 1 through 4. Look with me at verse 5. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, say it with me, first First, the first thing they did was they gave themselves to the Lord. They said, God, you're God. You will meet all of our needs. You will be our security. You will be our identity. You will give us significance. You will be our satisfaction. You will be the source of our happiness. And because they gave themselves first to the Lord, look what happened second, secondarily. And then, by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. How? Through their generosity. Who did they have in mind? Remember, the offering that Paul was taking up at that particular time was for poor Christians in Jerusalem. It wasn't for Paul. Paul wasn't saying, hey, I need need more stuff, guys. (laughs) I need better horses. You know, he wasn't saying I need more money from, from me. He was saying, guys, I'm trying to raise some cash for these poor Christians in Jerusalem. And the Macedonians said, count us in. Why were they so generous? They had placed God as God in their life. And when God is God in their life, we dethrone money and now it becomes a tool. Now it becomes an instrument to bless people in our community and our world. Is this making sense? Is anybody else excited about this? This ought to, as a Christ follower, this stuff, this stuff ought to excite you. It ought to motivate you. It ought to, it ought to just help you to just release the resources that God has put in your life. And so now... With all that being said, the choice is yours. You know, we, we, we come here and we ha- now we have an opportunity to give. Today we're going to receive our offering at the end of the service. 
And I'm going to challenge you to take the $10 challenge. I'm going to challenge you to, to basically go all in. For those of you who never given before, that's, that's what this is, a $10 challenge. But before we do that, I want you to hear from a family, the Roach, the Roach family. They have moved from this area of selfishness into generosity. Listen to their story. I want you to hear specifically what they had to say about the blessings that have come to their life because they've made this shift. Check out their story. My name is Greg Roach. My name is Brenda Roach. We've been married for 20 years. And have attended Emmanuel for a little over four years. 35 years ago, I went through a hard time. I lost everything. I lost my home, I lost my family. I was a very selfish person. Um, I was one step from being homeless. Before I met Greg, I went through a divorce and was a single mom. Had to move back home with my parents. It was at that time that I realized that my relationship with God was very important and he guided me and led me through some difficult times and continued to bless me. Everyone around me at that point in time, my bosses and, and friends and everything who were Christians at that point in time surrounded me and uh, I met a young lady who I'm sitting here with. I was still an angry, selfish person. The Lord used her and I began to listen to him and to her. A few years back, my husband and I were thinking of downsizing. God led us to build a new home. We didn't downsize, the house actually became bigger, but we promised the Lord at that time that we would use our home to serve Him and to help others. And now we have this 20-person small group meeting in our house on Sunday night. I never would have dreamed that a few years ago. So God is blessing. He, you know, if you just give a little, He gives a lot. You, you can't outgive God. I learned through selfishness of you know, it's not about me, it's about others and about what Christ did when he came and, you know, what our Lord and Savior did. He sacrificed everything, and I think that's, that's what it's all about. I think it's important for us to lead a generous lifestyle because it is a way of showing Christ's love. He first loved us. Generosity is about giving your time, giving of yourself, but it's also financial. And I was taught as a young person to give 10% of whatever I make. And it's amazing how much God uses that 10% and gives back to me. You know, I was a single mom at one time in my life, and there's never been a time that my needs weren't met or my children's needs weren't met. And I believe wholeheartedly it's because you obey the Holy Spirit. You give as He commands you to give and with a cheerful heart. I would tell people that don't practice generosity, you're missing out on the biggest blessing of your life. There's so many things that you can do, small things. And if you start out small, God will lead you into larger things. But uh, if you're not being generous, you're missing a, a blessing. Every day God gives us an opportunity. And so if you're not, if you're missing out on those opportunities uh, because of selfishness, uh, you're missing out on the great things that God has in store for us. Jesus said it really simply. He said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
He said, give and it'll be given to you. And now it's your opportunity. Has the Spirit of God been moving in your heart? That's been my prayer. And I, I get the whole tension, you know, in this whole deal. Pastors talking about money. I, I get it. Last night we had a, somebody who was upset. I don't like when pastors talk about money. It hurts my heart. It's very difficult for me to give this talk today. Because I know there's a, a percentage of people watching online and even here. Hey, here he goes again. Asking for money. And I get that. And I've been there. I remember as a college student at Liberty University, I was delivering pizzas. I was working hard. And the preacher talked about returning the tithe. And I thought, dude, you don't, you don't need my money. Are you crazy? I don't even trust you. To, which, what are you going to do with it? I've been there. And as I grew in my faith, I realized it wasn't about what the preacher was going to do with it. It wasn't about what the church was going to do with it. Of course, you got to be wise with that, but it was more about my heart. It was my heart that was the problem. I was, I was fighting. And I didn't want to admit it, but money was my idol. I couldn't part with it. I needed it. And anybody who asked me for it, I would get mad at them, whether it was a preacher or somebody else. Like, that's my money. That's what I thought. And I, so I get the tension. I do. Please, please know, please know in your heart, this is something God wants for you. Generosity is something God is leading you towards for you. On the back end of that, the church is able to bless people like crazy. We talked about that last week. We have partners in Columbia, Exodo Church. We've got partners in Haiti we're able to help. We have partners in, in Nicaragua, in Africa. Partners here locally that we give significant amounts of money to so that they can build churches and orphanages and provide feeding centers and give medical care. So yes, there's the benefit on the back end of blessing people, but this is about softening your heart. This is about you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when I finally got that, resources began to, to leave my hands. I still have room to grow in this area. We all do. My challenge to you today is to make God God and, and just watch and see what happens. When he meets those needs in your heart and in your mind and your soul, you stop looking to money to meet those needs, you can begin to give it away more and more and more. And so we're going to receive our offering today. And I hope, I hope that your heart, that you're able to do this with joy. If you participate, you're able to say, thank you, God, for, the, for, for, for releasing this, this idol of money in my life. As I give it away, I'm showing that you are number one in my life. And that's my hope for you as your, as your pastor. You can give through the buckets. We've got kiosks in the, in the foyers at all of our campuses. You can give. You can text the word GIVE to 65248, and it'll take you right to our PushPay app. You can follow a couple of those prompts. It's very simple to set up a reoccurring gift. Many of you did it last week. Our offering was up $18,500 from the same weekend last year. Is that? You can clap for that. Go ahead. <laughs> That's awesome. If that continues, if you guys step up and you continue to do that, that's $20,000 a month, that's $80,000 a year, that's a million, I'm sorry, $80,000 a month, that's a million dollars a year of more impact that we can make in our community and throughout our world. Will you pray with me and then we'll receive our offering. Father, thank you for leading the way in this. You are the most, you are the most generous being in the universe. All of our blessings, in fact, come from you. We can never outgive you. You gave us 
your most prized possession, your son, Jesus Christ. You led the way in generosity. Help us to follow your example in the $10 challenge, maybe even returning the tithe. Thank you for the opportunity to give. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, listen, my hope for you today is that you have been nudged, that you've been encouraged by the Holy Spirit to begin living a life of generosity if you haven't yet started, and maybe even to soften even those hearts of ours that have already been generous before, and to go forward to look for opportunities to be generous. And what I love about generosity is it's only a reflection of our God. Our God was, was the one who went first in generosity. Jesus literally gave everything that he had for you and for me ultimate act of generosity. And so we can't leave this place today without, without an invitation for those of you who might not have accepted that gift of Christ just yet. The gift, the offering to you, the, the invitation is one of an abundant life, a full life. And so I wanna invite you to give you an opportunity right now. You can step into a relationship with Christ and place your life in his hands through prayer by starting a conversation with him. And so if you're in a place now that you, you're ready, you're ready to take, to take that opportunity, I want you to, just, to pray with me. I would love all of us, in fact, to, to bow our heads and say something like this to Jesus. Say, Jesus, thank you. Today I accept your gift gift of salvation, of forgiveness, and the offer of a full and abundant eternal quality life. So right now, I place my life, all of me in your hands. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Forgive me for the wrong, the sin that I've caused against you and against those people around me. Jesus, as I, as I take these first steps with you, I, I ask for your help. Show me what it means when you said I could live an abundant life. Show me the way to live in this world. But Jesus, I trust you. It's in your name that I ask these things, Jesus. And we all said, now listen, if you have taken a step to trust Christ today, it's one of the best decisions you'll make in your entire life. And we want to celebrate with you as a church. So no matter where you are, all across the world or with us here at the broadcast campus, can we just celebrate with you? It is no easy step to place your life in the hands of Christ. And so here's what I would love for you to do. If you're joining us online this morning, you can let our folks know right there in the comment feed that you've accepted Christ. And if you're here at the broadcast campus, we have starting point tables. I've got some friends to the back of the auditorium in each of the corners on your way out. They would love to put a brand new Bible in your hand. It's a new believer's Bible that will help you take the first and most important steps to get to know the Jesus that you uh, have committed to walk along with today. So please don't leave here without seeing our folks at the starting point table.